Welcome to the CompTIA BizTech Podcast, where we talk with industry leaders across our communities and councils to discuss business challenges, opportunities, and strategies for success. Hello, and welcome once again to the CompTIA BizTech Podcast Series brought to you by your CompTIA Business and Technology Communities Worldwide. My name is Gary Bixler. I'm the Vice President of Member Communities here at CompTIA. Always excited to be your host. Uh, and in this podcast series each week, we invite uh, usually one of our uh, leaders of one of our CompTIA communities to join us and host a podcast from within their community. Today, we are joined by Adam Prue, manager of our emerging technology community. Uh, welcome, Adam. Hey, Gary. Thank you. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. One of the things I want to say before we get completely started here is just remind our audience, if you're enjoying these podcasts and this new series for us, please uh, press pause right now, jump over right quick and hit the subscribe button and make sure you subscribe to these podcasts. That way you'll be sure uh, never to miss one. And likewise, if you're listening and you're not a part of one of our communities already, uh, we would encourage you to go to comptia.org and uh, it's pretty easy to find. Just find that little join the community button uh, and join us. We'd love to have you. So Adam, welcome back. It's been a few weeks since we've chatted. Yes. And uh, I know you and I are always excited to talk, to talk about sports. Yep. And uh, sports is becoming more and more real as we navigate our way through this pandemic. We're certainly not through it, but uh, we're yep. finding a way. Absolutely. Where there's a will, there's a way. We're finding yep. <laughs> a way uh, to have sports again. And I think... Uh, you here in the U.S., the, the NBA and Major League Baseball and soon the NFL has you know, proven that in the right kind of environment, we can pull this off. So that's really exciting. What's your what's your feeling about kind of where we're at in, in getting sports back? No, absolutely. I mean, it's it's absolutely encouraging to your point. Um, you know, we're, we're finding a way to get there. Um, I just I just love how, it, you know, it's maybe a few hiccups here and there, but I love how, you know, the NBA bubble, for example, has been working. And I know, you know, there have been a few. Uh, you know, folks have walked outside the bubble. I know that's recent news, but um, no, I think it's working and the games are happening and it's fun. I, I, not that I watch them through the day, but it's fun that there's games through the day. You know, you get, there's always something happening. Um, but no, I think they're doing a great job and, and it's cool to see that the playoffs are, you know, they're progressing along. Yeah, it's encouraging. And I think, as I said to you earlier, um, I think it helps us all get through this pandemic because it gives us, you know, something we can all cheer for and root for. And, you know, regardless of kind of all the crazy issues in our world today and elections and everything else yep. that we get to argue about, um, you know, we can certainly come together and align on our passion for sports. And you still get to argue well, my team versus your team. But, uh, <laughs> right. I was going to say, there's something little, else to fight about. <laughs> yeah, a little more good natured, maybe. So. Absolutely. Well, we've got a little more serious topic today to, sure. uh, to chat about. And, uh, but it's something that's absolutely critical. And, and, you know, we talk about pandemic and the things that are happening in our world and it opens up uh, opportunities for so many people. It's certainly, we've talked about how, you know, the pandemic and this situation has opened up opportunities for our managed solution providers, our solution providers, you know, our community has new opportunities because of this, but the reality is uh, the bad guys have new opportunities as well. So that's exactly it. Yeah. So when you have things like, you know, cyber attacks and ransomware and all that stuff is, um, you know, new doors have opened for these cyber criminals. So we've got 
I think a couple of podcasts coming up for you where we kind of focus on the security issue. I'm interested to kind of get into this. Absolutely. Well, so so Miles and I, this was actually a joint podcast that Miles uh, Miles and I did. Um, we spoke to a gentleman, his name's Ken Muir, and Ken is an information technology leader. He's a keynote. He's been in the industry for like 20 years, um, exclusively focusing on information security um, consulting. Um, he's currently the chief security officer at LCM Security. Um, yeah, but and to your point, Miles and I, we chatted to him about cyber crimes, emerging technologies, how cyber criminals are using emerging technologies like AI to sort of target their 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 targets. Um, and and to the flip side is how are the good guys, air quotes, good guys using that AI and using emerging technologies to help protect themselves against the new threat of, of cyber criminals? Because again, Gary, to your point, we've all gone virtual. We're all remote now. Most of us are. Um, so it's, it's sort of opened that door. So we, we actually, uh, you know, we, we talked about that kind of stuff. Right. Excellent. Well, fascinating and important topic for sure. And I should have given dual credit uh, to Miles. The Miles you were referring to is Miles Jobjan. Um, manager and leader of our managed services and IT security communities. And so uh, it's great that you were able to get together and have this chat with Ken. So uh, with that, Adam, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you kick things off uh, with your guest. Thank you. Hello, Ken, and welcome to the BizTech podcast. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Uh, great pleasure to be here. It's awesome having you here. So Ken is Chief Security Officer at LCM Security Inc. And today we're talking about cyber crimes, emerging technologies, and what companies can do to protect themselves against cyber crimes. So let's just jump in right away. Um, Ken, what is your take on the current situation, you know, the current landscape of cyber crime? Um, unfortunately, in, in the world of cyber crime, it's actually becoming more and more prevalent. Um, there's so many reasons why, why this is happening actually and it's just one of the major reasons is that uh, people, uh, just anybody in any walks of life can really become a cyber criminal nowadays. They can literally start up their own criminal enterprise, <clears throat> you know, getting help on the, dark, uh, on the dark web in order to be able to set up your own little enterprise has become so much easier nowadays. These cyber criminals have built entire organizations to, uh, much like you would build an organization in the real world. Uh, these guys have built an organization uh, in the dark web in order to be able to help people to uh, uh, to propagate malware and to be able to infiltrate organizations. And so wow. uh, because it's becoming easier and easier, you know, there's a lot of people that are suffering uh, financially that are really looking at this as a way to uh, to change their fortunes. Uh, and it's always becoming so much more uh, easier to do. And it's only going to get worse. Um, it was a very, um, it was very small in terms of the way uh, it was a small number of people that were really involved in this years ago, uh, but it's becoming more and more prevalent now just because of the availability of uh, and ease of being able to do these things. Wow. So, so ransomware is becoming more prevalent. It's becoming easier, I guess, to do um, for, for these, these sort of these, uh, you know, company or not even companies, these, these organizations that are looking to really, you know, extort people. Yeah, I mean, you know, if in the old days, like you really had to have the the, the necessary technical skills, uh, coding skills, to be able to create malware in the first right. place. Right. Right. Now what you well, now what you're doing is you're buying or renting uh, malware from people that have already created these things, uh, and with a little bit of customization, you can actually tailor it to to do the things that you want it to do. 
And of course, again, like these cyber criminals have built organizations to help you with even things like that. Like you literally don't have to have any knowledge at all to be able to become a cyber criminal. Oh my good. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm not laughing. That's not funny, but that is, that's insane. That's crazy. That's great. So, um, so how are cyber crimes affecting companies and, and what is the impact of these organizations and, and privacy legislation? Yeah. So, I mean, it, there's a number of different things in terms of a number of different answers to that. Like, for instance, um, one of the statistics that's out, it's uh, very well proven is that 60% of small businesses go out of business six months after they've had a, a cyber attack uh, or a ransomware attack where they just simply couldn't afford to either pay the ransom um, or they, uh, they paid the ransom and never got the, the keys to unlock uh, the ransomware. And it's not just ransomware, like the ransomware uh, of yesteryear, uh, which is, you know, hundreds of years ago in terms of tech. Uh, today, the way it works is, is that uh, the cyber criminals know that people don't always pay for the ransom uh, and they try to revert to their backups in order to do restores and get them back into business. But the cyber criminals know that uh, organizations do this. And so now what they're doing is, is they're actually, and this is all of the ransomware groups. Uh, when we talk about a ransomware like REAC, uh, Sodanokabe, uh, there's a bunch of others. These are actually the names of the gangs that are doing these things. Uh, and uh, creating this malware. So what they're doing now is, is this, there's three things that they accomplish from doing that, is they infiltrate uh, and elevate privileges in order to be able to, to propagate the ransomware, uh, but they're also stealing your data as well. Uh, so in the event that you don't pay the ransomware, they're able to make the money off of your intellectual property on the dark web. So they'll sell these to the businesses on the dark web who they in turn resell that uh, to people that are interested in, in, in buying that type of information. And so there's really three things that are going on with that. Um, I, I've, seen, I've actually seen this for my, myself where a small business, you know, 10, 20 people who are making and generating huge sums of revenue because they have big contracts with, uh, you know, major organizations like Coca-Cola and uh, GM and, you know, really global behemoths. If they find out that you've been compromised, you literally, your, your contract is dead. And nobody will do business oh, wow. with you anymore, right? So there's no way to recover from a situation like that. It could also be that, you know, you spent a last year putting together a winning proposal uh, and at the last minute you got compromised and you've lost all access to all that data. You have no way to present that information. And then worse still, uh, the organization that you're pitching to, they find out you've been compromised. Uh, and then the next thing you know is they're just not going to do business with you. And, it, and again, there's no way to recover from that. It's not like, uh, big organizations that have lots of salespeople, lots of uh, business business in the pipeline. When you're a small organization like that, it's literally right. there's no way to recover. Right. So the losses are colossal, actually. I think one of the things that I, that that I've seen um, around there is that code, that malware code, will sit on that MSP server and in their system for months just sitting there and they like don't attack it. They just let it sit there and, and collect and, and learn more information. Yeah. And then, and then all of a sudden it launches right now. They've got access to everything at that point, to your point. Yeah. Like it's got, they've got the backups. They've got everything because it doesn't, I think a lot of people think of this almost like a, you know, a robber coming and breaking into your home and shattering a window and, and taking as much as they can. This is not that no. this is a meticulous strategic attack to sit and monitor and find out 
Who's the weak person? Who can I socially manipulate with an email because they have access and, you know, and they can just watch you and sit and collect so much information before they strike. Um, Miles, to be completely honest, that's how I thought it happened. That's how I thought it was. It was just, you know, robber in the night, smash and grab, go. I didn't, I didn't, I had no idea it was sit there for months. They're very sophisticated. So there's different flavors of that, actually. There's a, there's a, there's a term, there's a lot of military terms that are used in, in cybersecurity. We borrow a lot of terms and and stuff from, from there. Uh, One of the latest ones that I read was called uh, flash to bang. Uh, and so when you look at when you look at a flashbang grenade, for instance, it's the time it takes from when you arm it to when it actually goes off. Um, they call, yeah, they use that term in cybersecurity and law enforcement actually to describe how long it takes to actually break in and steal your data. And so that measurement is actually measured in minutes. And then there's the other type where they actually sit inside your network for months and months uh, and studying. So as an example, like the uh, the Bank of Bangladesh lost eighty million dollars because. Uh, cyber criminals are able to uh, infiltrate their environment and actually studied uh, how the, the the actual processes for how people pay and make payments. You know, what are the triggers that, you know, activate somebody to to make a payment to someone else? Uh, they actually lost about a billion dollars uh, originally when managed to recover all but 80 million of it. But to bring that uh, closer to home, um, the city of Burlington actually in the summer of uh, 19, uh, 2019 actually lost a half a million dollars on that using that same scheme and so these are people that are sitting in your network and actually learning your network uh, as well Um, the ransomware thing is is used ubiquitously nowadays because what it means is is that you know if i'm renting malware from some cyber criminal or cyber organization i can that money that i'm um, collecting off of that gets some of that gets paid as a fee to the organization that i'm renting it from but the rest of it comes to me so this makes a makes for a very very uh, lucrative uh, career in in cybercrime uh, is the reason why these people are doing that. But to your point about uh, malware sitting in networks for months, there's a couple of reasons why uh, ransomware uh, works the way it is. Is one is they don't activate it straight away because they want you to run backups for several weeks. So because the, they know when you run the restores on there, it's just going to reinfect, uh, and that's actually a documented fact um, that reinfection happens at a, a extremely high rate. But the other thing is, is that people don't patch. Um, I've, I've been involved in doing cleanup for uh, ransomware for different organizations. And the same thing, I, I see the same thing over and over and over again. I go in there, we find out what uh, ransomware it is. And I say, hey, you know, this came out two years ago. There's been patches for this for two years <laughs> is the reason why you have this, right? Your entire operation is down because you didn't patch for this. So it's not like you didn't have a chance to, to fix this. And so these are the, there's so many variables in terms of the way this uh, actually uh, can come about. Wow. Um, hey, that Miles, variable, we... if I may, Adam, is, is, is the pandemic, right? Now, all of a sudden, we've got organizations that are sending folks home. And I've heard so many stories from my managed services community of their clients calling them and saying, okay, I brought my desktop home. <laughs> what do I do now, right? Well, yeah, and, no, and it's totally off the network. Don't, nothing's secured anymore. You know, that's right. The remote access ports are open because they wanted the convenience. That's right. And that's and right. all of a sudden, it's, so uh, the the fear and and what I've heard is that that that's one of the new fresh areas that are being exploited. Are you seeing yeah. that as well? Yeah. So one, uh, ironically. Uh, we spent years and years and years in the past explaining to uh, organizations that you're not supposed to allow remote desktop access through the firewall, right? Just from from anywhere. And so I think 
to some degree, this is probably going away. But because of COVID and the rush to get people access back into the organizations from working from home, these ports have now become really ubiquitous. If you look at the latest uh, statistics, for instance, for uh, ransomware infections, when they talk about attack vectors, meaning, you know, what did they do or how were they able to compromise uh, an organization? 50% of ransomware infections were as a result of remote desktop ports being open on the internet. Oh. 50%. And that's now, like 101. <laughs> it is, because the thing is that you always hear about, you know, somebody clicking on a link and it downloaded a file and then infected the, the whole organization. And that actually accounts for a really large uh, proportion of that. But it is superseded by uh, the amount of RDP connections that are out there. And I've also seen this for myself. You know, you go into an organization, they've got ransomware everywhere. Um, there's no logs anywhere for you to do any kind of forensics with. So the first thing I always do is to go and look at the firewall rules. And oh, sure enough, almost every time I go there, it's like, oh, remote desktop access is uh, available on the firewall. And it's open to the whole world, <laughs> right? And then, and then to, make, to make it worse, to make it worse, it's not like these guys have been sitting around uh, waiting for somebody to open up these ports uh, to get access to this. The whole world has been mapped already and continuously for vulnerabilities. And so um, because of AI, for instance, you can run pen testing tools and map the whole world in a week. So it's not inconceivable that you can keep remapping on a weekly basis to find these things. So um, you go into a site like Shoban, for instance, um, set yourself up an account, it's free to get in there. You put in a search term for RDP, for instance, with a remote, remote desktop, it will pull up an entire listing in the thousands of RDP connections that are already compromised. And so it's easy. If you go on the dark web, for instance, you can, for 50 cents, you can yeah. buy an RDP, an already broken RDP connection for 50 cents. And so all you have to do is you pull up an RDP session on your laptop at home, you put in the credentials, you're into that network. And there, are, there was uh, one site I looked at, there was 70,000 RDP connections for sale that were already broken in terms of credentials. Oh my goodness. So what I'm saying is it's not somebody sitting there Oh, let me try uh, another password name combination. Oh, that didn't work. Oh, yeah, that's uh, let me try that's right. Yeah, sitting there the whole day, you know, try. God, God damn it, it's not working. So they just go on the dark web, and you can buy it. You look at a bucket load of RDP connections that are already broken. So, you know, it, it's it's the problem is huge. Wow. So it's not what Hollywood presents at all. Person hacking in Ethan, you know, whatever the guy's name from Mission Impossible is. The character Ethan Hawke. Well, it was Tom Cruise, but the character's name's Ethan. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. It's not that. Um, but okay. So you mentioned you mentioned uh, the impact the pandemic had, um, and you also mentioned pen testing. One thing I'm curious about is um, how how do cyber crimes tie into? Let let's deep, let's dive further into that. How do they tie into technologies like uh, artificial intelligence or uh, you know the Internet of Things? Um, you know, how, how do cyber crimes tie into that, to those technologies? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's just, yeah, another bunch of areas that are, are huge and uh, massive concerns. For instance, like one of the presentations that I, um, I, one of my presentations has some slides on there where, uh, for instance, I talking about Showband again, I went on there um, and I actually put in the search term webcam and it literally gives me a list of webcams that are freely available and you can just, you don't even need to log into them because nobody set up any security on them whatsoever. Uh, and so I logged into one and I took some screenshots because you could see some people walking around in a car park and 
you know, if I'm a, if I'm a, a, a criminal or some kind of a, a predator, I could literally sit there and, and just uh, learn your patterns of life by literally walking, seeing you coming and going and coming and going. And what people don't understand is because I now know the IP address of that, I could do a geo lookup to find out where that IP address exists in a specific area and then use Google Maps to actually virtually drive around the neighborhood to find your house. Right. So now I know everything about where you live. And if I search even further, I can go and look at listings uh, for that particular address and see who owns the house. And I could just keep digging and digging and digging. And then depending on the you know, level of depravity that I am as an individual, I could buy services off of the uh, dark web where I could be waiting for you to go out to enact that or I could be waiting for you to come home. And so absolutely terrifying. And so the, it, where the AI piece comes into it is that. And one of the things that we're adopting is, is more, the more use of AI in what we're doing is um, cyber criminals are using AI technology in order to map out all of these vulnerabilities uh, on a global scale because using humans is just not scalable. They have the same problems as we do. We're just, there's, there's not enough talent out there to be able to scale uh, to the types of size of crimes that these uh, people want to uh, uh, accomplish. And it's not just cyber criminals, it's nation states that also want to do this as well. Uh, and so by using AI to actually do what a human normally would do, you're now talking about something that's going to be done on an exponential level, as opposed to, you know, somebody spending a week trying to crack into a website. You now have an AI that can do this in a matter of minutes and then just continually move on. Wow. I guess the good side, though, is that we get AI too, right? On our end. <laughs> we can that's right. That. <laughs> that's right. But the adoption of it is slow. That's what yeah. the problem is, right? You've got the cyber criminals are going... These are business guys, right? They go, yeah, I need that. I want to use it right now. And you got to talk to somebody in an organization normally and say, we want to use AI. They're like, what? You mean you're not What's using the value? Um, I'm going to need to think about that for a year or so and uh, I'll get back to you. Right, right. So, so Ken, because of, because of the pandemic, then do you see, uh, you know, maybe like a rapid adoption uh, of AI and, and like in, in terms of fighting cybercrime? because of the pandemic, because everyone's sort of been thrust into this position where everyone's working remotely? Uh, no. Oh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> then. then uh, that's all I got. I'm out. Bye. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I know my, my responses are usually, you know, really well thought out, but simply in, the, in this, in this hey. case, just no. It, the reason being is because, unfortunately, the way uh, organizations are globally so give Canada as, a, as an example, like we're 99% uh, classified as small to medium sized businesses and only 1% as, as enterprise. In the enterprise space where you've got people that are very educated in the, in the world of cybersecurity. And I'm, when I say educated, I mean, these are the guys that have literally worked from the ground up, you know, they've built computers for their living and, you know, installed software and then were risen through the ranks and are now in the positions of kind of a more of a business level these guys get it like you could explain to them ai is, a, is the, the the way to move forward you need this because it's going to provide you know x number of reasons and for stuff they get it with most organizations that don't have security people or they're very um limited in terms of their experience the adoption for something like this is a really it's a hard sell uh because they they don't understand or believe that ai really can can do the things that a human can do in a way that would be satisfactory. So it's a, it's a bit of a hard sell. And then on top of that, um, you're, you're really what you're doing is if you're going to put AI in, it should be part of a larger strategy, not just a shoot from the hip point in time, 
you know, this seems like a good idea type of thing. It needs to be, it needs to be thought out and deliberate in terms of the way you want to implement something like that. It needs to really be part of a strategy. I love that you brought that up, Ken, because from the, one of the themes we always try to push in the security community is that it's security is not a function of it. It is no. a function of your business. It and is. You have to have it. it. It doesn't have to dominate your business, but it has to be a consideration in every decision you make that that level of risk management. What are you doing to make sure that this new solution is also protect, you know, whatever it is, but to your point, every step you think, every product you add, Every solution you would try to make it, you have to have the consideration of security as a part of that now. And if you're not, I mean, that's just negligent at this point. It, it is. It's total negligence, actually. You're absolutely right. Because um, what's happening is the way I kind of describe what we do, or you know, when I say we, I'm talking about the royal we, just generally with businesses, is that um, instead of kind of following industry best practices and, and standards that are designed to help you to be secure, at best people, what they're doing is kind of, uh, best efforts, uh, and and really more commonly, what they're doing is best guessing. You know, they see something that seems like a good idea, and they go and buy it because it seemed like a, a good idea at the time, without really understanding the strategies around it. The thing that I've so you know, in the discussions I've had uh, with you guys, you understand that I come from a very technical background. Um, I've always been hands-on. I've worked on really, really large-scale, multi-million-dollar, um, you know, complex uh, security projects involving technology and consulting and, and training and all kinds of stuff. Um, very interesting things. But over time, what I've learned to understand is that the, dis the discussions that people have typically is just all about tech. And that's not what's keeping you secure. Right. So CDW actually did a, a um, uh, they actually did research earlier on this year. And one of the things that they discovered was 20% uh, of businesses in Canada, for instance, have been hit by ransomware. So 20% actually equates to about one, uh, um, it's 20% of 1.3 million active businesses, which I think equates to about 265,000 businesses have been hit by ransomware. Of those, 80% were reinfected, right? So if you, if you take those businesses and you were to do research against how much time they spent looking at firewalls and looking at antivirus, you go look, they, they, the man hours, like the labor hours involved in just uh, uh, making the decision on these things only to be compromised anyway, yeah. tells you, must tell you that this discussion and the conversation that we're having around uh, security is, is all wrong. Yeah. Right? They, there, there are better ways to do this, but the adoption of it is just, it's, it's not there at the moment. The, the so, key must be one-time security training awareness and then never talk about it again. Right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Check. That's yeah. done. <laughs> hey, I, yeah, I checked out at a conference. Hey, I, I went to the security <laughs> session. We're good. Yeah, we're good. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> so, so Ken, then it, then it sort of begs me to ask this, which is what is the conversation people should be having um, when it comes to cybersecurity and, and IT security? So one of the things that I learned uh, over the years, I, I went on almost kind of like a, a Gandhi-esque um, you know, soldier and trying to understand why companies are failing and why uh, they're typically, uh, you know, not very happy with managed security service providers. And there's a whole bunch of problems that are, that are out there. And really what it comes down to is, is there's a couple of things. One is, is a, you know, they're not really following a strategy. The tools to develop those strategies exist. But the problem is, is that there isn't the knowledge to understand how to bolt these tools together to make that strategy work for them. But the, also the, the conversation that, uh, uh, as I mentioned before, is, is all around technology. 
if you're, I, I've heard this so much, people say, you know, it's a problem with the business. The bus this is a problem for the business. But what I never hear is anybody explaining to the business how it's their problem, right? Explaining to them, what is it you need to, what do you, what should I be telling you, Mr. Business level people, um, what do you need to know from me to be able to make business decisions that are intelligent decisions around what we should be doing? What do I need to provide you for information? You never hear this, right? What really is supposed to be happening is the IT people are supposed to go to the business and say, okay, we've developed a strategy. It includes uh, an understanding of where our gaps are, um, how we're gonna remediate those gaps, and how we're gonna ongoingly manage and maintain the level of security that we need to have. Those discussions never really take place. And so the business never really understands uh, what it is they're ultimately responsible for. And nobody's explaining this to them. Uh, IT people are not really trained for that. That's not really their, their side of the, the house. And then, on, and then on top of that, even if you have a cybersecurity person on staff, that cybersecurity person's not going to have the 100% of experiences that you need to have in order to be able to develop that uh, as a business plan, actually. So really, the, the things that need to happen is we have to start talking about cybersecurity in terms of business language, and we have to start creating business plans around cybersecurity. The way I always see this is that it's like, you know, the IT person is the entrepreneur that goes to the bank looking for money. An IT person typically goes to the board or they go to the executive team saying, hey, I need money for, you know, X number of projects. The board really needs to be saying, okay, explain to me what your strategy is. Show me the plan that you have that, that explains to me that I'm gonna get the best um, investment out of my dollars that I'm spending. That's what they should be saying because that's what the bank's gonna ask you. You wanna borrow money, the bank's gonna say, where's your business plan? Right. Boards and executives should be asking IT the same question, where's your business plan? And so by being able to speak in that business language term, we now can elevate the discussions. And I've seen how this has made a huge difference from a service provider's perspective where we're not just talking to the senior IT person now, we're actually talking to the board. The board actually wants to hear from us because we're explaining things at a board level, kind of business level discussion, as opposed to about technology and you know speeds and feeds and widgets and all this kind of stuff, because it obviously right. doesn't work. <laughs> so, uh, sorry, Miles, did you have a, do you have a nope. question? Nope. Um, maybe I should have asked this sooner, but I'm just kind of off the top of my head. I'm thinking, it, it, every company's vulnerable correct like Every is there company. any way you could ever be hey i'm protected i'm ready to go i've got the right guy in the right place you know i'm no you know what the, you know what it's all it's all about risk reduction that's really what you're trying to accomplish is risk reduction right so if i walk into an organization and i i do an assessment on there and i say okay you're currently 80 uh, percent at risk of uh, of being compromised uh, right now what we're really looking for is to get not 100% because that's not possible. What we're trying to get to is like a 90% or an 80% um, to a risk reduction up to 80%. Because what you're trying to do is to make it things really difficult. It's kind of like, you know, a, a, a guy who wants to steal your car. He's going to walk along the, the car park looking for cars that don't have alarms in them. He's not going to pick the car that has an alarm in it unless he has sophisticated tools. They're looking for the path of least resistance. And if you're, what you're presenting to them is just too difficult to do and, you waste, and they're wasting their time, they're just going to move on to somebody else who's a lot easier. And so that's what you're really trying to accomplish is, is risk reduction. Yep. Right. Yeah, so, that so, gets into that whole business conversation, right, of, of right. looking at security as a way as to reduce that risk, to lower that landscape, 
make exactly. sure your overhead's not popping up, right? And, exactly. Uh, and have that conversation at the level they'll understand. That's right. That's exactly right. So uh, what, what can companies do then? What can MSPs do to, to really protect themselves? So obviously, it's about you know, uh, risk mitigation, but you know, do you have any tips and tricks or things that you could tell, tell the listeners what they can actually do to uh, you know, save themselves of a disaster? So, you know, the, the irony of uh, the discussions around this is that the tools that for making this happen already exist. Um, the problem with them is, is that the, the, the language around the way these tools are constructed are not always very easy uh, to understand for an organization. So when I talk about the tools, I'm talking about standards like, um, like ISO 27001 or uh, CIS or NIST or um, HIPAA or any one of these kind of industry frameworks. These are guidebooks on how to be secure. And so organizations don't, are not adopting those standards in order to help to figure out how to, to make themselves secure. If they use these standards, they would learn to understand how, because the industry's already built these things. These are built by, you know, the top minds in the industry have put these things together over the you know, last 15, 16, 18 years. Uh, and so these things already exist to explain to organizations how to become secure. The problem is, is that uh, organizations are not really adopting um, these standards at all, and they're just really doing the industry best guessing, as I mentioned earlier. So what we do is we actually help customers to understand what these frameworks are, are explaining to them uh, in terms of what is suggested for them to be secure. And then they follow a path along becoming compliant or aligning to these standards. Uh, and what they end up with is, is a major education in terms of, of what it is to be secure because the knowledge is already there, like it's already built. Um, these standards are global, they're industry recognized, they're used all over the world. Uh, and so you don't need to reinvent these at all. Some companies will say, well, you know, these standards are pretty big, we're a small company, like why would we need to go through this? Well, the reason why you need to go through this is because you need to understand what there is available uh, for you to use as tools to become more secure. What you decide to use of that framework is entirely up to you and it's going to be based on budgets and resourcing and other things sure. as part of that business plan. But to, to, to not introduce that to an organization is not the right thing to do. It's not for me to decide what you should be looking at as an organization or any of my peers either. It's for the organization to make a, to, to, to decide on that because that's a business decision that they need to make. I'm not the business. I'm not their business. Me for my, my job is just really to present you the options. And your job is to decide of those options what you want to take on. So what you're making is a business decision. I always look at this in terms of PR. Like <laughs> I get news feeds every day and I see these things in there where comp companies compromise and they say, well, you know, it was a really sophisticated attack and it, you know, beat our defenses, but we're going to do better next time. Well, it wasn't sophisticated at all. <laughs> you're, you're not fooling anybody when you tell people it's because you don't follow standards. You don't follow process. Uh, or or a best practices way of doing things. And so you you know from a PR perspective and I explain this to organizations you always need to be able to say you know we're aligned to a standard uh, it's industry recognized and here's all the things that we're doing uh, for it. That's what you need to be able to say. But right now people are not able to say anything because they just don't do these things at all. Wow. Wow. Um, Miles, any, uh, I mean, I don't want to wrap this up. I mean, we could, we could, keep talking, <laughs> but, um, Miles, any, any final thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would tack on to that, that, you know, maybe for the last 
I don't know, let's say six, seven, eight years, the message coming out of this would have been, so this is a really good idea and you should be doing this. <laughs> and I think now the, the, within the last few months, this message is now, if you're not doing this, the man's coming for you. you know, the legislation coming for That's you. Right. The lawsuits are coming for you. That's um, right. It'd be devastating if, if, if not, not just to be hit, but if you get hit and you can't prove that you're doing your due diligence to have stopped that. That's the key, I think, is that you have to be able to show, look, I'm paying attention. I'm, I, I am doing, I took this standard and I tried to apply it into my business and I've got these tools in place. That will get the lawyers to back off a little bit. because Exactly. That's exactly right. So and from a no longer a strong suggestion, but a man, you go, mm. <laughs> That's right. That's like, it's like watching the parking attendant down the street. He's, you know, you haven't paid your parking meter. Right. He may not hit you yet, but you know he's coming. You can see him, you know, you can see he's coming. It's going to happen any moment now. Yep. Awesome. Well, Ken, again, I, I don't want to cut it off. This is this has been fascinating and insightful and just, just a fun conversation um, with yourself and Miles. I, I really do appreciate you taking the time and, and chatting with Miles and myself. No, I, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do this. It's, uh, I consider myself a student of this because I've read voraciously about this industry for the last 25 years. Wow. Um, cyber crimes and cyber espionage and cyber warfare and all these things. And because what it does is it, it helps me to understand why organizations are getting hit um, and how these things are happening. So uh, being able to uh, verbalize that uh, in, a, in a situation like this has been really a pleasure. Thank you. It's been amazing. Um, I really honestly look forward to the next one that we have of these, whether it's a podcast or, hey, a, a community meeting. Uh, I look forward to, uh, to chatting with you again. Yeah, you too, guys. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Miles, too. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the CompTIA BizTech Podcast. For more information on CompTIA membership, communities, and councils, visit comptia.org slash membership. If you enjoyed this podcast, the greatest compliment you can give us is subscribing, sharing, and liking the broadcast.